Well, good morning, Treasure in Christ, church, family, and friends. I'm so thankful that you all are here today. Um, I just want to take a minute before we start to thank everyone who was able to pray for our um, international student Christmas party this past Wednesday night. We had about 75 people in this room, 50 of whom were international students from NC State, many of whom heard the gospel for the first time in their lives, some for multiple, uh, it was another time to hear the gospel. And so I just want to thank you for praying, thank you for giving, for making that possible, and I just want to encourage you, I want to ask that you continue to pray for these students, especially over the winter break where they have more time to think about what they heard, think about the gospel that they have heard this semester, they've heard it in other semesters, pray for their salvation, pray that God would meet them in this Christmas uh, season. I also want to thank the Doherty's for reading um, the Advent reading this morning. Um, I'm so thankful that we could hear about the birth of Jesus Christ because my sermon today is purposely a non-traditional Christmas sermon, and by that I mean I'm not going to be preaching on the, the passages from the Bible about Christ's birth. But rather, our text this morning, it comes from another passage, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Um, so you are welcome to follow along with me in a Bible. Uh, there will be one at the end of a row if you don't have one, um, or you can uh, follow along on the screen as well. But as, you, but as you get in there, I want to just share one of the reasons why I chose this passage for our uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas service sermon this morning. Um, you see, it's been my experience, and maybe it has been for you as well, that going to church around Christmas time, listening to the story of Jesus' birth, singing songs like we sang this morning, amongst other songs, becomes for me just another thing to do during this season. It's another element of our cultural tradition that I feel, and maybe you do as well, that we must check off in the midst of an already busy schedule with all that is going on. We, we, we check these things off. We, we do these things sometimes either to, to please God, to please our families, or even to please ourselves. And some of you may feel what I'm talking about this morning. And here's how you know that you might be in the same boat. These are some examples of how you might be feeling this as I'm feeling this this morning. First, did you, did you feel a sense of duty or obligation that you had to come to TCC this morning? Did you postpone your plans for leaving and going out of town so that you could make sure that you were here this morning? Were you anxious about getting ready for service this morning, either last night or this morning, or as you were walking into our crowded foyer, were you anxious about being here? Or fourth, how, how would you rate your experience In these moments where we were just together singing praises to God, were you as jolly as St. Nick or were you as grumpy as the Grinch? And I would argue that it's a good thing. It's it's the right thing. It's the most important thing for us to, to do and to get done during Christmas season to be here and be singing and praising Jesus, to be listening to his word, to be hearing the narrative of his birth. I would argue that that is a good thing. But as good as this is, and as good as it is to keep traditions up, might I suggest that, myself included, we miss out on the main thing about Christmas when going to church during the holiday season, doing these things, becomes just another check mark. 
The prioritization of this good action in our lives, it preoccupies us from simply being with the person of Jesus. Maybe not this morning, but throughout this season, it preoccupies us from truly resting in him, from finding joy in him as we sing and as we hear his word, as we read his word. It preoccupies us from treasuring him for who he is and why he even came to us as a baby in the first place. Perhaps this morning, this is how you've been feeling, how you've been feeling the last few days for the last few weeks, or since October when they started putting Christmas decorations out in the stores. And friend, if that's you, if this is you, it's my prayer this morning that together we will find peace at the feet of Jesus in Luke's gospel. You see, in Luke chapter 10, we meet two characters that many of you are probably already familiar with. These characters' names are Martha and Mary. And you've probably heard this account before, but I want to encourage you this morning to to listen, to listen with undistracted ears, to see with clear eyes, and to feel with a longing heart what Jesus wants us to know from this passage as it relates to our lives as a whole, but then as it relates to our lives this Christmas week. So I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to pray, and we're going to look a little bit more intently at these verses together. So starting in Chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel, verse 38, the Word of God says this. Now as they, Jesus and his disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Listen to how the Lord answers her. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, this morning for allowing us to be here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, for sending Jesus in the first place. God, I pray that through your word this morning, God, that we would treasure Jesus even more. We would long to be with Jesus even more, God, that you would do this work in our hearts. God, we pray this and ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, our passage this morning in Luke's gospel, it's rooted in a historical context, in a particular setting. Just like each of us in here today, we, we, we came to TCC from a particular setting. We live in a particular setting. This week, we may be in different settings throughout the week. So starting out then in verse 38, we see that Jesus, he enters into this setting. He enters into this, this new village, a different village than he's likely gone to before. And in this village, he's come from much teaching and preaching. And he goes in, and something unique happens in this village. He's invited into the home of one of the residents of this this town, this village. And something unique here that is noticeable is that he's invited by Martha. He's invited by a woman who reaches out to him and invites him into her home. And this is countercultural. It goes against everything in an ancient Middle Eastern context. She, 
she extends hospitality to Jesus at the risk of her own reputation and at the risk of her comfort. And so we have to ask, why? Why would she extend the invitation to Jesus? Surely there were other rabbis and teachers that she could have learned from at that time. Why this particular man, Jesus, who is traveling through her village? Why is this man worth breaking culture for? She welcomes Jesus into her home because she knows whom Jesus is. Some scholars suggest that she's met Jesus before, but we, at the very least, we certainly, we certainly can make the statement that she has heard of Jesus at the very least. She wants Jesus in her life, and the text then implies that Jesus, he receives the invitation, which in one way at least communicates this one truth, that regardless of the setting and regardless of who it is, Jesus, he is willing to be known and he's willing to know those whom welcome him into their life. Now the main point of our passage this morning, it's not about the setting. We know that. That's pretty clear. But I labor here to paint this picture because the setting of the passage and likewise the setting of our lives is huge. It's huge. It's Christmas week. The setting that you're in, it matters to a degree because it matters to God because in each setting, one truth is to remain constant. And that truth is what Jesus communicates here in verse 38. That he is willing to be known and he is willing to know those whom welcome him into their lives. Jesus is willing to be known and to know those whom welcome him into their lives. And what we see in the rest of the verses in this passage is that a lot's going to go on in this particular setting with both Martha and her sister. Mary. Similarly, a lot is going to take place this week, in particular in your life. But our first truth this morning will not change as you go into each new setting, and as you face the challenges in that setting, that Jesus wants to know you. He wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you regardless of everything else. And now I realize that's a that's a pretty general, it's a basic truth, it's it's a basic tenet of our faith, but I want to ask this more penetrating question. How do we live that out? Do we live that truth out? Think about your past Christmas seasons for a moment. Just go with me. Think about your past Christmas seasons. How many of you are traveling for Christmas? Pastor Travis already said he's going to do it. I'm doing it tomorrow. Yeah, some of us are going to be traveling for Christmas. And when we get to wherever we're going, do we stay in one place? Or are you moving from one place to another? For Emily and I, we're often in four or five different homes within the span of three days in another state. And so for you, whether you're, you're staying or whether you're going, wherever it is that you're going to be, the next question is, what are you doing? What are you doing in that place? Are you busy cooking? Are you busy cleaning? Are you busy taking care of the kids, taking pictures, spending time with family you never get to see? Are you wrapping gifts or accidentally burning all your hair off like Pastor Hunter did a few Christmases ago when he tried to burn the Christmas tree with gasoline? (laughs) Are you busy playing football or basketball, watching football or basketball? Are you busy eating, baking cookies? Are you busy staying up all night waiting for Christmas morning to open all your gifts? Are you busy going to the store for last minute shopping or cooking items you ran out of? Are you getting into verbal fights with family members? Are you breaking up fights 
with family members? Is it WrestleMania at your in-laws? With all of that going on, whatever it is for you in your Christmas week, how often does the truth of Jesus wanting to know you and be known by you come? And how often do you take action from that truth and seek to be present with Jesus in the midst of your Christmas setting? See, like Martha in verse 38, we, we welcome Jesus into our lives. And certainly this morning we would say that we have come here trying to welcome him into our lives. But for in this week, we want to say that, you know, looking forward, we're, we're going to try to welcome him into our lives. But for one reason or another, other things in our settings, they often distract us from being fully present with Jesus. Verse 38, it ends by, by stating that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, meaning that she was responsible for caring for the house and also for her guest. It was her responsibility to serve her guests and to prepare everything accordingly for their time together. And I just have to ask, have you ever felt like that, church? That it was your responsibility to prepare for everything for your guest. The cleaning, the cooking, the kids, even the dog. Could you imagine if you were preparing for Jesus to come into your home? Could you imagine if you were preparing for the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, to come into your home? Just imagine the potential pressure that, that Martha would have felt. But in this text, we see that Martha's hospitality, her serving is a good thing. At least it starts out that way. You see, not only is it her responsibility because she's over the household, but remember, it's her desire to serve the Lord. She's the one who welcomed Jesus into her life. And in this hospitable service, she aims to love her neighbor properly, which Jesus literally had just finished teaching on, in his public ministry, we find that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is the passage right before our passage this morning. So Martha's aim in welcoming Jesus and serving him, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. She's doing good work, good ministry even. But her perception of serving Jesus, it becomes skewed. She becomes distracted in this setting by other things which cause her to lose sight of the main thing. She loses sight of Jesus in her work. And as a result, church, her, her good work, it becomes simply another thing that is secondary to knowing and being known by Jesus. Look at verse 39 with me at, and see what distracts Martha and skews her perception. It says that she has a sister, a sister called Mary, who was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. So Okay, so she has a sister. Perhaps there's some sibling tension going on here. That's a plausible, uh, plausible thing to infer from the text. But nonetheless, we see that her attitude while she's serving. Remember, she welcomed him in. Now we see that her attitude while she is working is intensified by the action, or rather the inaction of Mary in her own eyes. Remember, Martha's over the house, which suggests that she's the older of the two sisters. So Martha may be questioning why does her little sister not have to help with the work that has to get done? Doesn't, doesn't Mary know that Jesus is here? Doesn't Mary know that this is Jesus and we got to serve him? we got to get all this stuff prepared for Jesus? Why does her little sister get to sit and relax at his feet? See, verse 40, it tells us that this was too much for Martha to bear. She allowed herself to become distracted by other things in her service. And these other things, they pressed in on her 
to the point that it led her to anxiety and to a troubled spirit. We see that in verse 41. But it lead, that, that anxiety and that troubled spirit leads to her emotional outburst in verse 40 on Jesus. And we want to say yikes. She emotionally outburst on Jesus. Would you talk to Jesus like that? Maybe you're thinking, if you, were, if you were Martha, no, surely. I would never yell at Jesus. I would never make demands at Jesus, but you would. I would, because we do, do we not? We do it with other people. We do it with other people all the time, and certainly sometimes even with God now. That's facts. Listen to Martha's words as to how she diverted her focus away from the main thing to her work. So first, she feels like Jesus doesn't care. Lord, do you not care? Do you not care? Secondly, she feels like she's alone. She's alone personally and alone to do her good thing. My sister has left me to serve alone. And then third, she expects, she demands Jesus to act according to her will. Tell her then, Jesus, tell her then to help me. Now, do any of those expressions sound familiar? You don't care. I feel alone. I have to do everything myself, and now I need you to do something about it. See, maybe not in those words, but have you expressed those things to your spouse recently? Have you expressed those things to your kids how about to your coworkers, your friends, your family? How about to God? See, church, my mind, it wanders to the Christmas week this week where this emotional outburst, it may become a very real temptation for some of us. See, as you're traveling from setting to setting, Dad, when you're packing up the van to serve your family, will you give in to the subtle whispers of the enemy that your spouse and your kids, they don't care enough about you to help you? That you're alone in the task? Will you demand your kids to help you out of an, an unspoken emotional state of frustration and anger or anxiety that you have to get packed up now in order to be on time for wherever you're going? And mom, will you listen to the lie that no one cares about you enough to help you with the Christmas meal or desserts? That you're alone to do it yourself? Will you yell at your kids or even worse, your nieces and nephews, that was me, who stuck their fingers in the food, messing up your perfect display of the Christmas feast? And youth and kids in here, not to leave you guys out, but how will you respond on Christmas morning when you don't get the gift that you were hoping for, that you specifically asked for? Will you burst out in emotion, thinking that your parents don't care for you? Will you feel alone in your family? Because if your parents really understood you, they would have certainly gotten the gift that you had asked for. Will you put an expectation on your parents, kids, youth, out of your own wants? See, the reality is, church, is that many of us do and are consistently tempted to respond to Jesus and others like Martha does in this passage. And we often feel justified when we do. Because we root our emotions and desires in what we perceive to be ultimately good and right. We think it's good and right for ourselves. We think it's good and right for those around us. And good and right even for God. However, what we see in this passage from Martha is that in our ambitions to do good in a general sense. Or particularly in this week to carry out the right Christmas traditions. 
We become distracted by other things, which divert us away from the best thing, the most good, which Jesus speaks to in verses 41 and 42. Look at verses 41 and 42 with me. He speaks to the foundation of Martha's distraction in these verses. And as he does so, notice he does not rebuke Martha for the necessary good work and ministry that she is doing by serving him. He does not rebuke her for utilizing her gifts. But see how Jesus rather speaks compassionately to the anxiety and the troubled spirit that she has become fixated on. He says, Martha, Martha, anytime this is uh, repeated, a name is repeated, it communicates compassion. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Only one, Martha. You see, church in her serving, Martha's anxiety and troubled spirit, they're triggered as she dismisses the service of Mary. She dismisses the service of Mary while simultaneously believing that Mary should be helping her with all that needs to get done. Yet in her dismissal, she does not account for the fact that Mary too is serving. Yes, Mary is serving. She is serving Jesus by also breaking cultural norms as a woman and coming to Jesus and sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teachings. Church, our first service to the Lord before anything else, is to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. This is the one thing of verse 42 that is necessary. This is what Jesus commands in Matthew 22, verses 37 38. This is what Jesus wants Martha to know and understand that in her service, there's one thing that is primary, and that is the who that she's serving, not the what that she is doing or that has to get done. The prophet Hosea, he gets at this truth of keeping God primary in relation to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. He says this in Hosea 6.6. For I desire love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And in verse 42 of our passage, Jesus says that Mary, she gets this. Mary gets this. She gets the one thing that is necessary in and for all of life. This is the main thing for us today, church, to serve him by prioritizing him above everything else. And by prioritizing him, it means loving him with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength before we do anything else. And by doing this, it's choosing the right portion, according to verse 42. Mary's doing this. She's starting with Jesus. She makes Jesus the Lord her portion and cup as King David did in Psalm 16.5. And we get a glimpse here of how important this is to Jesus himself. Listen to his distinct words, his distinct choice of words to Martha. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion, which is figurative language. It's a figurative reference to, to the best meal that one could partake in. Mary has chosen to partake of the meal that Jesus offers, not of bread, but of himself, the word of God who has become flesh, John 1.1. She believes that this meal, this portion that Jesus didn't just put his whole foot into, but he put his whole self into, is what is going to be more sustaining than any physical meal would have to offer. So if you're paying attention with his words, church, Jesus literally, no pun intended, He Jesus-juked Martha. 
He, Jesus, juked Martha because she was coming to him, demanding help from him to prepare him a physical meal. Jesus then says to Martha in verse 42 that this portion, this meal, cannot be taken away from Mary nor anyone who partakes of it because he is the meal. You see, his words, the words of his meal are everlasting because he is everlasting. The life that comes from this meal is ever-sustaining because he is ever-sustaining. The comfort and the filling that this meal will bring is more comforting and filling than any physical food that can be prepared because he is the God of all comfort and the God who fills us with all that we need. This is why he welcomes us. This is why he came. This is why he says, come to him and taste and see that he is good. See, Mary, Mary ate of this meal. She made room for the good portion. And it resulted in her being eternally known by our Lord, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And it is this truth that Jesus highlights in these verses to Martha and to us this morning. So then, church, how do we keep Jesus the main thing of our lives throughout the year and in this Christmas season in particular? How do we live being fully present with Him in our different settings? First, we're to prioritize Jesus. We're to prioritize him, keeping him and partaking of the good portion, the main thing of our lives. And to do that, many of us need to reorder our lives around him. And here's what that means in three ways. Certainly, if you have never truly placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by repenting of your sins and turning to him, to live for him and to obey his commandments, then I want to invite you this morning to take that very first step. Take that very first step. Pray to God that he would save you through his son, Jesus Christ. Ask him to help you to live for him. But then for those of us who already know Christ and are already known by Christ, we now actually just need to make time and more time and more time for Jesus in our lives. And this means actually carving out time like we would carve a ham and turkey this week carving out time in our, on our days to be like Mary and listen to the Word of God. For us, that means spending actual time reading the Bible, praying to God. And by actual time, I don't mean just a few minutes of our day. I don't mean looking at, at one verse for a few seconds and checking that off that we've done it. Or, 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 or just reading the verse of the day that gets emailed to us and checking that off that we've done it. Or even getting into a routine And spending time with Jesus for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, and then letting that go by the wayside because we make excuses like our lives are so busy or it's a hard season in this this time right now in our lives. And I say that not to be trite, but look at Mary. Look at Mary. She was a wise woman. She was wise enough to know all that had to get done. She was wise enough to know that this is Jesus coming. She was wise enough to know all the preparations that had to get done for this Jesus. But she was wise enough to know that this Jesus was worth more. Was worth more and so she spent time with him. She spent time with him. And I don't know if there's a better way or a more simple way to express this other than that. That Mary, she got it. Mary got it in the midst of her setting, in the midst of of her busyness, in the midst of all of her responsibility. She chose the right 
portion. She chose to make room for the good portion. She chose Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of peace, everlasting Father, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, the preeminent one who is before all and is in all in which all things hold together. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not account did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men as a baby in his first advent and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a shameful and humiliating cross. He's the one whom God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name above every other name, that his name, Jesus, every name, every knee, should and will bow to on heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that this Jesus Christ, this Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God his Father. This is the Jesus that we're talking about, church. And so we cannot, we cannot, we must set, we must not settle in relegating him to a few moments of our day. And I'm preaching to myself now because look, every single one of us, we know this to be true that we make time for what we want to make time for. So this isn't rigidity, it's not fundamentalism, it's not religious obligation. This is Jesus whose birth that we're celebrating in this season. He is worth our making time for. So church, I'm pleading with you. We have to, we need to reorder our lives to be present with him. Work and school and extracurricular activities, sports, theater, dance, music, TV, comfort, other things like serving and using your spiritual gifts like Martha did are secondary. Jesus is primary. And so in the words of David Platt in his new book that we've been encouraged to read as a church, something has to change. The structure of our lives, it has to be reordered if we're to partake in the good portion of Jesus Christ. So practically, obviously, that's going to look different for every single one of us. But one way, one way of starting is for us to look at our schedules. We each have to create time by strategically reordering our schedules, cutting things out that particularly are secondary in order to prioritize Jesus. And even then, right, the temptation is, oh, I did that, you know, good, check it off. I'm spending, you know, a little bit more time with Jesus than I did yesterday. But even then, even then, we should ask the question, could we further still cut things out, minimize other things in our lives to spend more time with Jesus? And as we do this, another way of partaking of the good portion of Jesus is to work to prioritize him. Prioritize him in our our thoughts, in our words, in our actions throughout the rest of our lives that we're not particularly spending time with him in reading his word and in prayer. And we work at this. We do it humbly. We pray. We pray to Jesus first and foremost that, that he would help us to keep our minds focused on him from sun up to sun down. We pray to him to strengthen us to walk after him and obey him. We pray to him to help us worship him in all that we're doing. Remember, Martha's service became more about her than it did about the worship of Christ. So we pray throughout our days for God to help us keep our minds on him while we live and while we work and while we serve and while we play and while we rest. We do this by being constant in prayer throughout our days as Paul commends us to be doing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. So now, church, that was, that was general and only three ways to apply this sermon to your lives on a normal day-by-day basis to my life as well. 
But I want to be a little bit more specific for this Christmas week. What does all this look like as we are in and out of different settings? Well, again, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then I want to encourage you to do so today. This is why Jesus came, for this reason, that you might be known by him and that you might know him. But for those of us who do follow Christ, my first encouragement and really challenge to us is to commit a certain portion, the good portion, if you will, of at least of each day this week, at least of each day this week, to get alone and spend time with Jesus. And you may have to be creative about it too. You may have to, to wake up earlier or stay up later. If you're married, one spouse may have to take over all the responsibilities during that time to allow the other spouse time to spend with Jesus. You may have to you may have to say no to the backyard football game on Christmas Day. You may have to say no to the invitation to see the new Star Wars movie or to watch more movies on Disney+. Plus. You may have to delay the opening of gifts with the kids or vice versa, kids and youth. You may have to delay the opening of gifts with your parents so that you can spend time with Jesus on Christmas morning. But then also know that it's okay if this portion of time if it changes from day to day as well but be resolved nonetheless to commit the good portion of your day to Jesus and then second my encouragement is to pray and to pray and to pray some more pray as you go into each new setting that Christ would remain primary in that setting and all that goes on we all know the challenges of Christmas season we all know the challenges of Christmas week we know what to expect when we're with our family or friends Pray, pray that God would help you to worship him and to focus on Christ in those settings. And then lastly, because Christ also gave us a mission to go and tell, when he came to earth in his first advent, came as a baby, lived and grew to the point of his death on the cross, when he raised from the dead, when he came back to his disciples, he said to go and to tell others about him. Third, lastly, we have this mission to go and to tell others about him. So I want to encourage you, as you feel yourself, as you feel yourself uh, being tempted by the things that are secondary to creep up and to take over in your mind, to take, take over in your actions, I just want to encourage you to speak of the great things that Jesus has done for you in that day. And if that seems difficult, speak of the things that Jesus has done for you in that year. And if that seems difficult, speak of the things that Jesus has done by coming to us in the flesh 2,000 years ago. The church, let us pray, and then we're going to move into a time of the Lord's Supper. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that we could come. Lord, not to just another Christmas service, but Lord, we could come and we could stop. And Lord, that we could see Jesus, that we could taste a little bit of Jesus, that he is the good portion. He is the best meal, that we do not live on bread alone, but we live by every word that comes forth from you, God. And I pray, God, this week, God, that we would hunger and that we would thirst more and more for your righteousness that we find through your word, that we find by spending time with you in prayer. That in the midst of busyness, 
in the midst of this Christmas season, this Christmas week, God, New Year's coming up as we're traveling, God, we've got a lot of activities going on, school's out, God, I pray that we would not lose focus of the main thing, that we would hunger, that we would thirst day after day, and we would not be satisfied until we have given you the good portion, until we have chosen to partake of that meal, God, I pray. In 